I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Isaiah chapters 44 through 48. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Isaiah chapter 44, we have the return to the land continued from chapter 43, verse 1. Yet hear me now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you, and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty in floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass, like the willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. As I mentioned, these five verses continue the thought of Isaiah chapter 43. That's describing the restoration of Israel. As we talked about earlier in chapter 43, there was a return to the land under the Persian king Cyrus, who began his reign in 538 B.C., However, this passage, along with chapter 33, seems to point to a time when Israel will be revived abundantly, both physically and spiritually. That leads us to conclude that the Messianic kingdom is being referenced here, rather than the mere return of many of the exiles to a land still under the dominion of foreign governments, as was the case beginning in 535 B.C. That's when the first exiles began returning back to Judah. The historical account of that return is found in Ezra chapter 1. Incidentally, the Jeshurun in verse 2 is a poetic name for Israel. In verses 6 through 8 of chapter 44, we see that there is no other God but Jehovah, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God, and who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witness. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. These verses assure Israel that there's only one God, and it happens to be their God, Jehovah. Had they embraced this reality earlier, the fall to the Assyrians and Babylonians would not have taken place. Then we see in verses 9 through 20 the pitfalls of idolatry, revisited, of course. Verse 9, Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a god or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together, let them stand up, yet they shall fear, they shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so he is hungry, and his strength fails. 
He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with the compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding, to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Well, of course, Israel's problem throughout their history was their continuous return to the worship of idols and the strange gods that they represented, as despite the fact that this was a direct violation of the law of Moses. Isaiah goes into great detail here regarding the process of building these idols in verses 10 through 14, apparently to point out the great care and workmanship required to produce them. Just as Moses didn't buy Aaron's story that he just threw the gold into the fire and a calf came out, so does the process of verses 10 through 14 demonstrate that a cooperative effort on behalf of craftsmen brought the actual idols to the people. Is it the epitome of stupidity or is it the epitome of rebellion against God himself that they could not lay off their idol worship for any extended period of time? Even in Babylonian captivity, God warns them of this pitfall. Let's face it, sin is sin. All God ever wanted from man is captured in what observant Jews know as the Shema. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The essence of which, by the way, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. That verse says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that is all God really wants from us today. When asked by a lawyer to reveal what was the greatest commandment, Jesus replied in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. When one has that relationship with God, everything else properly falls into place. Now, these verses describe in great detail the idolatrous practices of the Jewish people. No one could have accused Isaiah of not clearly stating his case here. In Isaiah 44, verses 21 through 28, we find the promise that Cyrus will bring you back. Verse 21, Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. 
Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, You shall be inhabited, to the cities of Judah you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up your rivers? Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid? Well, God will forgive Israel and restore them, that's the message of these verses before Isaiah drops a very heavy prophecy on them in verse 28 regarding Cyrus. This Persian king Cyrus is mentioned here over 150 years before we'd even be known to the Israelites. He's the king who would one day facilitate their return from exile, but as I said, 150 years before the fact he's revealed in this prophecy. Now, to properly appreciate this prophecy of Isaiah, consider these dates and occurrences. First of all, Isaiah's prophecies around 700 B.C. The Assyrians rule the region. Israel has fallen, much of Judah as well. Many Jews were deported, but Jerusalem remains unconquered. Isaiah prophesied previously that Jerusalem would not fall to the Assyrians. He did so in Isaiah 37. Isaiah prophesied in 39 Isaiah 39, that Jerusalem would fall to the not-yet-an-empire Babylonians. Now, that part right there is just remarkable in itself. The Babylonians conquered the Assyrians in 626 B.C. Jerusalem was under siege first by the Egyptians, then by the Babylonians from 609 B.C., and then many more were deported, and that's recorded in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25. Jerusalem was ruled by puppet kings of Egypt, then Babylon, from 609 B.C. until their complete fall. After Judah's king Zedekiah rebelled against Babylon, Jerusalem was overcome in 586 B.C., bringing to a close the southern kingdom of Judah. More Jews were deported. Babylon falls to the Persians in 539 B.C., then the Persian king Cyrus issues a decree for the Jews to return to Israel sometime after 538 B.C., which is over 150 years after Isaiah mentions him by name in this chapter. The Jews return to their homeland around 535 B.C., and that's recorded in Ezra chapter 1. Incidentally, the mention of Cyrus in verse 28 here, and again in chapter 45, is used by liberal scholars to insist that Beginning with chapter 40, this portion of Isaiah was written much later and not by Isaiah. That's what the liberals claim. On the other hand, I persist in the integrity of Scripture, and I believe and I'm convinced that Isaiah was the author of the entire book of Isaiah. God gave him this prophecy regarding Cyrus over 150 years before Cyrus actually came on the scene. In chapter 45, we have more about Cyrus. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that gates will not be shut, 
I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. This prophetic subject continues from chapter 44. Now remember, Isaiah is writing this prophecy before the Babylonians were to even overthrow the Assyrians. Jerusalem has just been delivered from the conquering Assyrians, as we saw in 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. Isaiah has already prophesied that the Assyrians would fall to the Babylonians, and Jerusalem would too. Now he's prophesying that the Babylonians will fall to the king of Persia. And that king's name is Cyrus, a king in an empire which does not even exist at the time of this prophetic writing. That's what makes this passage so remarkable. If you'd like a clearer perspective on this, read Esther chapters 1 through 5 regarding Cyrus and Persia. Verse 1 has a startling prophecy regarding King Cyrus. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him. He was first mentioned, but not by name, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 2, as the one from the east. Here's a king who's not a believer in the one true God, yet he is considered anointed by God. That scenario occurs only one other time in the Old Testament, and that's 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, regarding the king in Damascus. The context in which the word anointed is used here is that he's appointed by God for the purpose of bringing the Jews back to their homeland from Babylonian exile. God even uses non-believers to impact his people. A universal appeal to turn to God dominates the last half of this chapter. In 1879, a clay tablet was discovered, which now resides at the British Museum. In this tablet, Cyrus' allegiance to the god Marduk is clearly stated. So here was an instrument of God who facilitated the Jews' return to their homeland in the name of human rights, but without an allegiance to the one true God. Then we see the sovereignty of God in the choice of Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 through 13. Verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. Let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with his Maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, What are you begetting? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands you command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretch out the heavens, and all their host I have commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and let my exiles go free. 
not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's prophecy transitions from specifics about Cyrus to God's sovereignty and God's ability to use whom he likes to impact his people, the Jews. The essence of these verses is captured regarding Cyrus in verse 13, when it says, I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. Then we have a look at the millennium in verses 14 to 25 of chapter 45. Verse 14, Thus says the Lord, The labor of Egypt and merchandise of Cush, and of the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over to you, and they shall be yours. They shall walk behind you, they shall come over in chains, and they shall bow down to you. They will make supplication to you, saying, Surely God is in you. And there is no other, there is no other God. Truly you are God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed and also disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together, who are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together. You who have escaped from the nations, they have no knowledge, who carry the wood of their carved image, and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together, who has declared this from ancient time, who has told it from that time. Have not I the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? A just God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him." In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. This chapter concludes with a word about the Gentile submission that one day will take effect. These verses must be looking toward the millennium itself. In light of verse 17, it says, But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Not only so, But we see an invitation that extends to Gentiles as well in verse 22 when it says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Then here's the message again, and it's the message of staying away from those idols in Isaiah chapter 46. Verse 1, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols were on the beast and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stooped, they bowed down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made 
and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me, that we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place, and it stands. From its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand." And I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory." As we said, Israel always had a problem with idolatry. In verse 1, Bel is the Aramaic form of Baal, the national god of the Babylonians, and Nebo was a Chaldean god whose worship had been introduced into Assyria. Isaiah makes an appeal to them regarding the ungodly practice of idolatry in this chapter once again. Notice the question posed to Israel by God in verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me? that we should be alike. He challenges them to look to God where true salvation really is. Notice Isaiah's call back to their roots in verse 9 when he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Then in chapter 47, we have the prophecy of the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt. Uncover the thigh. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not arbitrate with a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for ye shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the elderly you laid your yoke very heavily, and you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart. No, remember the latter end of them." Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries, for the great abundance of your enchantments." For you have trusted in your wickedness, you have said no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you, and you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. Therefore evil shall come upon you, 
you shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Stand now with your enchantments, and with the multitude of your sorceries, in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit, perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by, not a fire to sit before. Thus shall they be to you, with whom you have labored, your merchants, from your youth. They shall wander each one to his quarter. No one shall save you. Even though Babylon is only a vassal state under the Assyrians at the time of Isaiah's writing, he prophesies the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, their fall to the Persians under King Cyrus in 538 B.C. Isaiah addresses the Babylonian Empire in verse 1 when he cries, O virgin daughter of Babylon! This whole chapter is all about their future fall. Notice the phrases in these verses. It says in verse 3, Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not arbitrate with a man. Then in verse 9, this statement, But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. And then verse 11, Therefore evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. And then there's your bright spot in verse 4. It says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Although Babylon will conquer the Assyrians, and they'll rise to the top, they aren't going to stay on top. Total destruction of the Babylonian Empire is in their future. And finally, chapter 48 today gives us more on Judah and Israel's Babylonian captivity. Verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city, and lean on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass, because I knew that you were obstinate, and your neck was an iron sinew, and your brow bronze. Even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, My idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. You have heard, see all this, and you will not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning, and before this day you have not heard them lest you should say, Of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear. Surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction." For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? 
and I will not give my glory to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you, assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves them. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off, nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, free from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock, and the waters gushed out. There is no place, says the Lord, for the wicked. Through Isaiah, God exhorts Israel and Judah to turn to God. The time will come under Cyrus when they will return to their homeland. That's after 538 B.C., and they need to be spiritually prepared for that occasion. They need to have learned their lesson about serving and loving the only true God. Israel knew from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1-5, through 5, that it was prophesied before they even occupied Canaan in the first place that their rejection of God would result in their captivity. Isaiah writes regarding the history of obstinate practice by Israel toward God in verses 4-8. through 8. So where do we go from here? Well, there's your answer in verse 9. For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. In other words, God will deliver Israel because God keeps his promises, even when they don't keep their promises. So when Israel failed to keep their end of the bargain with God, what did God do about it? Well, notice verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God will keep his promises to Israel, but not without affliction for their wrongdoing. God will destroy Babylon, who just happened to be, in the future, the conquerors of Jerusalem. Israel knew from God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that they would be restored to their land. The lesson for them to learn from this particular prophecy of Isaiah is to use this ordeal as a learning experience to make them stronger as a people under God. In verses 20 to 22, they are encouraged to flee Babylon. That, of course, was only made possible after Cyrus issued the edict for their return in Ezra chapter 1. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.